The ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine, escalated by Russia's invasion in February, has so far led to the deaths of up to 100,000 people. 21 years ago today, coordinated terrorist attacks were carried out against the United States, leading to nearly 3,000 deaths. The attacks resulted in an ongoing military campaign known as the War on Terror, which has so far led to over 800,000 deaths and the displacement of 37 million people. In December 2019, the first known case of COVID-19 was identified in China. The resultant pandemic has infected at least 500 million people, killed 6 million, and has had far-reaching impacts on all our lives. The statistics I've just mentioned fail to convey the horror and trauma experienced by millions of people who have lost loved ones, suffered chronic injury and physical and mental illness as a result of these catastrophes. But in the Book of Lamentations, we have exactly that. Graphic descriptions of horror and trauma resulting from catastrophe. Jez introduced us to Lamentations last week. It's a poetic response to the siege and destruction of Jerusalem, the capture of over 4,200 Israelites, and the slaying of an unknown number. In chapter 1, we get a long description of the grief and shame of Jerusalem in response to the tragedy. As we heard in the first half of chapter 2, we get much the same. Descriptions of Israel's sins, of God's anger, of Israel's mourning. That is, until verse 18, when the narrative shifts. What we heard in our reading was the author's instruction to Israel for what they should be doing in response to the tragedy. The Israelites' home is destroyed. Families are divided in deaths, in death and survivors are captive in enemy land. So how does the author say the Israelites should respond? And what can we learn from this passage about how to respond during our own times of difficulty? Because the title of this book, while it's apt in the sense that lament is something people would naturally do when faced with such widespread death, destruction, and displacement, to lament has much wider implications than these extreme circumstances. Lament is an expression of many possible things. Sorrow, regret, loss, disappointment, grief, sadness. We might lament physical or mental illness, strained relationships, the struggle to pay bills during a cost-of-living crisis, even the death of a beloved monarch. And, yes, loss of loved ones, loss of our homes, perhaps even captivity in one form or another. Like any biblical book, it is absolutely important to understand Lamentations in its context. And, like any biblical book, 
I believe there are things it can teach us beyond its immediate setting. But before we look at chapter 2 and see what it has to teach us about lamenting, a quick caveat. As I said, I believe the divine word of God has excellent teaching on how God wants us to approach all kinds of situations, including lament. But I also believe God has raised up professionals with training and qualifications to help sufferers in an appropriate way. I am not a perfect interpreter of the scriptures, nor am I qualified to give medical advice. So if you're in a place of lament that requires professional help, please seek it. Otherwise, I'm just going to do my best in my own flawed way to interpret what I think the passage is telling us about lament, and hopefully it will be helpful. So now let's look at verses 18 to 22. How, does the narrator say, should the Israelites respond to their tragic circumstances and what can we take away from this advice? Verse 18. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Here is the first instruction to Jerusalem in response to their tragedy. Let your tears flow. The naming of God's people, you walls of daughter Zion, is a callback to verse 8, which describes the Lord allowing the walls of Zion, or Jerusalem, to be torn down. Here the narrator is saying, your physical walls have been torn down, now it's time to let your emotional walls come down. Let yourself mourn, don't shut down your emotions. This is something we can struggle with today, isn't it? There's a stereotype of British people that we have what we call a stiff upper lip. In the face of adversity, we remain resolute and bottle up our emotions rather than, as it were, let our upper lip tremble in fear. I think this is broadly true, especially of men and certainly of me. I find it so hard to be honest and transparent about my personal struggles, to be truly vulnerable and admit how I feel, certainly to my different prayer circles and often even to God who knows it all already, to be honest about how rejected I've felt in the past by employers, by potential partners, by people I thought were my friends to be honest about the loneliness I sometimes feel, even when surrounded by people. I find it much easier to hide those emotions than to admit them and to process them. Maybe you're the same way, or maybe you know someone who is. But here in the scriptures, the instruction to God's people is, open up, let your defenses down, let your tears flow. Express your emotions. Psychologists tell us the same thing. I read an article by a licensed psychologist that gave a great reason for expressing our painful emotions. It's that we can't actually selectively numb emotion. If we try to turn off one emotion, we turn off all of them. So in suppressing our tears we also suppress our joy. 
Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift from God that flows out of us as a result of our commitment to his son Jesus. Joy is a feeling greater than emotion. Joy means we can be glad and worship the Father in glory, in spite the fact that we might be going through miserable times, and in spite any sadness or depression we might be experiencing at the same time. So let's not stifle that gift. Let's not refuse to deal with our sorrow and deprive ourselves of God-given joy. So how should we approach lament? Point one, express our emotions. What's next? The second half of verse 19. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Here, the author encourages the Israelites to pray for some sort of redemption. Yes, this destruction was prophesied. It was going to happen. Israel was always going to be displaced. People were always going to die. But as we know from elsewhere in the scriptures, there are some things that God, in his generosity, lets us have a say in. In some mysterious way, God can and does act in response to prayer. Now, what we ask of God, for it to be answered, it has to be according to his will. And in our fallen state, it can be hard to discern his will. But we should certainly try. And in the case of lament and the things we might lament for, I mean, as an example, I've personally prayed for people to be healed of physical illness, and those people have later died. But I've also prayed for healing for people who have recovered, perhaps in part as a result of my praying, perhaps not. The point is, God's word encourages us to pray for good things. In the dire straits of the displaced Israel, children are dying of hunger. God's word says, pray that those children will be saved from death. In our difficult circumstances, pray for redemption. For whatever reason, God might not do it. But then again, he might. He might rescue us from our sorrows. He might heal those relationships or those ailments. He might completely remove us from our troubling circumstances. But just as likely, perhaps more likely, he'll give us the tools we need to deal with those circumstances. He'll give us the courage of David to defeat our Goliaths. He'll let us go into the blazing furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but send his son to protect us from the flames. He'll send us in front of a terrifying Pharaoh, but like Moses, give us the words to say and perhaps a friend like Aaron to help us say them. One thing is for certain. As Jesus taught us, if we ask for bread, God won't give us a stone. If we ask for a fish, he won't give us a snake. In other words, if we pray genuine, well-intentioned prayers of redemption, God won't turn around and say, how dare you ask that of me? No, prayers of redemption with the right motives will be met with the listening ears of a loving father who knows what we need better than we do. 
But whatever God's response, he wants us to pray into our circumstances. So that's what we should do. So how should we lament? Point one, express our emotions. Point two, pray for redemption. How else should we lament? What's one more thing we could draw out of this passage? Well, in the final verses of the chapter 20 to 22, the narrator takes on the persona of Israel, saying, Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring? Should priest and prophet be killed in your sanctuary? Now, I first just need to acknowledge the horror of that statement, which gives us some insight into the desperation of the Lord's people during the exile. Some mothers were so hungry and driven to such a state of desperation and mental illness that they actually ate their own children. Now, while I hope and pray that none of us get anywhere close to a state of mind that would lead to such an awful act, we can still learn something from this alarming verse. On first reading, this and the remaining verses might seem, well, outrageous. The narrator seems to be encouraging us, fallible, broken human beings, to dare to question the divine, perfect creator God. Surely that's offensive to our Heavenly Father. In verse 21, it says, Whom have you ever treated like this God? You have let young men and women fall by the sword. You have slaughtered them without pity. It sounds wrong. It sounds like accusing the perfect father of grievous evil. But I think what the author is saying is, be honest with Father God about your feelings. When we don't understand God's motives, we might well get angry at the things he's allowed to happen. God has placed in us the ability to feel sorrow and anger at our own circumstances and those of others. And in his wisdom, he has limited our ability to understand why he allows those circumstances to happen. Even his son Jesus, while he was on earth, was not granted the full omnipotent wisdom of the Father to fully understand his circumstances. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, we are told this story. The time is coming near for Jesus' death on the cross. He goes with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane to pray. He says to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Later, praying to the Father, he says, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Jesus' sorrow, sorrow so extreme that he felt he might die before his time, Jesus was frank and honest with his Father God. He asked that his cup of suffering be taken from him. Jesus did not sin in this request. Ultimately, he came under the Father's will. But he was honest about his feelings. The Israelites should have known the reason for their suffering. It followed generations and generations of idolatry and rebellion against God. The prophets continually warned them that judgment was coming. Yet, 
They said, But God, though we have sinned, should women eat their offspring? Should your appointed priests and prophets set apart for your service be killed in your holy temple? It is not a sin to ask these questions, to seek to understand what God has allowed to happen. And so with us, we might understand intellectually the human corruption and sin that poisons everything and causes suffering to the innocent and guilty alike. But does that mean we don't cry out in anguish and anger at the suffering of children? Does that mean we don't lament for the faithful followers of Jesus who seem to get far more than their share of sorrow and pain? Does that mean we don't weep during the moments in our own lives that are so painful that it seems that God has abandoned us? No, of course not. Let us be honest with God about our anger, our pain, our lack of understanding. And then, like Jesus, let us surrender to God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we've explored three ways to lament, to express ourselves in the face of our own troubles and the suffering of our world. We should express our emotions, pray for redemption, and be honest with the Lord about our feelings. But what then? Do we just sit in our lamenting state forever? Isn't there some hope at the end of it? Well, no, we shouldn't lament forever. And yes, there is hope. There is hope, in fact, in the next chapter of Lamentations, which Paul has the privilege of leading us through next week. So I won't step on his toes and go go into too much detail this morning. But I will say this. Lament is meant to happen, and then it is meant to end. As we've seen, expressing our negative emotions keeps us open to joy. Praying for redemption can lead us to redemption. And much like Jesus' honesty helped him come under God's will, so our own honesty with God can help us move into a place of acceptance and joyful conformity. But more so than any of that, it is thanks to Jesus' suffering that we will see an end to our own. As uncomfortable as it is to hear, we deserve the pain of the Israelites in exile. We deserve the suffering that Jesus took on our behalf. We are rebellious, sinful people that deserve God's wrath. And that is what awaits those who do not repent and follow his son, Jesus. But thanks to Jesus' sacrifice, if we do repent of our sins and follow him, we can be free of those sins and free of the suffering that comes with them when we make it to eternity. There, God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. God will make everything new. And while it is so tempting to leave my sermon there, 
I think it's important for us to follow the pattern of lamentations and just sit in lament for a bit, at least for today. As it says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to laugh and a time to dance, but there is also a time to weep and a time to mourn. If we don't acknowledge our pain or our mourning, we cannot properly move on to our laughing, our dancing, our joy. So what do you lament? What are you going through or what are others going through that you yourself mourn? That causes you anger, that makes you question why God would allow it. Acknowledge those emotions Be honest with God about what you think and feel and pray for redemption. Because even if it doesn't come now, for the repentant believer, we will be fully redeemed in the presence of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. Amen.